Hello and welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and we're so glad that you're here. We use our mojo to really become greater leaders. Now, let's get started by listening to something good. Oh, I feel good. If you're a leader with managers reporting to you, I want to ask you a few questions to ask yourself. Does your leadership team work seamlessly together? Are they focused and organized? Do they function well or fight each other? Do they communicate effectively or are they cloaked with confusion? Do they make decisions efficiently and effectively? Are they hiring, training, and keeping the best talent? If someone leaves, do you have an A player waiting on the bench? Well, if you can't answer yes to all of the above, then perhaps I can help you and your team. I help leadership teams work together harmoniously and achieve greater business results. If you want a, a free assessment and a discussion, just email me, steve at managermojo.com. Tell me you'd like to, to chat for a little bit and we'll schedule a call. Thank you, that's steve at managermojo.com. Hello and welcome everyone to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and I'm thrilled to introduce my special guest, Mr. Lucas Conley. Now Lucas is co-author of Legacy in the Making and it is a building a long-term brand to stand out in a short-term world. Now Lucas uh, is also a writer with the Legacy Lab. He's the author of Obsessive Branding Disorder and co-author of The Method Method. He's a former researcher for The Atlantic and staff writer for Fast Company and has written for the Boston Globe, ESPN Magazine, Spin, and the Wall Street Journal. Lucas, welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Thanks for having me, Steve. Looking forward to it and looking forward to talking about your new book. But before we uh, begin, why don't you share with our listeners what fun thing that you've been up to lately outside of work? Oh, I love starting that way. Uh, I actually just came back from the Malibu Creek State Park out here near L.A., where um, I ran a 15-mile run uh, through the mountains there, which is my favorite thing to do in my spare time, whether it's uh, backpacking or running. That seems to really balance out my life. Well, congratulations. That uh, You're certainly in a lot better shape than I am. I'm uh, 15 miles, <laughs> and then they could bury me in the mountains. That would be just fine. <laughs> So congratulations, <laughs> congratulations on that. Uh, Lucas, uh, Legacy in the Making. I, I want to talk about the book. Uh, first of all, I want to set the stage for our listeners. Uh, why don't you define what Legacy in the Making is? Uh, tell us the premise behind the book and, and what are we going to learn whenever we read this book? Sure. One of the things we noticed before we started this project, uh, the Legacy Lab, which is the group uh, uh, that started the research that ultimately led to the book Legacy in the Making, was that um, some of our clients in the advertising and marketing world 
were seeing their age in entirely different ways. Um, some thought of themselves as too old for their industry. Some thought of themselves as too young for the industry. And they, they might be the same age. And so we started to look at how people thought about legacy. And what we noticed right away was that one of the typical ways that people think about legacy is, is backward looking um, in terms of what they've inherited from the past or something that doesn't change. And as we did more research into the ways people thought about legacy, we, we noticed there's a small group of people who really think about legacy in the present. Um, they've got their eyes you know, in, in kind of a forward looking um, posture towards how do we build something now and for tomorrow as opposed to how do I keep doing what has been done in the past um, or how do I in, you know, uh, preserve what uh, I've inherited. Interesting. So uh, you, you mentioned that uh, as a part of this research, and I, I'd like for you to really kind of expound a little bit on this, that, uh, you know, today uh, we're, we're used to, especially in the American markets, that everything's about short-term uh, success. Every, I mean, everything. It's instant gratification. We have uh, the markets are looking at every quarter it's a rush to figure out what you're going to do and and i find leaders today really hung up in this idea of short-term performance and they really don't think about legacy so much as they do just survival in the short term am i wrong in that or is that part of what you found that keeps people from focusing on legacy it's, a, it's an interesting question, right, because it, it is part of the dialogue right now. There was a, a Wall Street Journal op-ed just uh, a couple months ago um, from Jamie Dimon and uh, Warren Buffett um, talking about short-termism and how it's harming American industry, American investment, um, and uh, research and development. Uh, I, so I, do, I think it is a big issue. People talk about it pretty frequently, and, and the question is often, you know, what do we do? to encourage people to think more long-term about their careers and their businesses. What, one of the things I think that helped for us is that early on in the research that we were doing, we recognized that the long-term thinkers actually act faster. And, and the reason that for this is because they've already recognized where they're going, what they're about. They've got a long-term personal ambition that drives them. And because of that, when things come up, there's, no, there's not a lot of time to to, to debate about what they want to do. You know, these trends come and go like, a, like winds in a storm, but they're able to navigate swiftly towards what their goal is without having to um, puzzle and ponder and, um, you know, uh, touch base with a lot of people about what to do next. Interesting. So from, from your perspective with the research that you've done, uh, would you mind contrasting what are some of the differences between the thinking of those that are uh, th that are really building long-term brands versus those that are not. That's it's a good question because it does play right into the chapters of the book, and I'll, I'll break it down that way. So we okay. have uh, five pillars in, in the book, five pillars that we break down into five chapters. Um, so traditionally, brand managers will behave uh, in a way that, that obeys organizational principles and institutional rules. Uh, we noticed with new legacy makers that they were uh, following long-term personal ambitions. So it's, 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 you know, it's a much more personal-driven um, uh, world that we live in that we see these modern legacy builders uh, pursuing. And it really all starts there with that long-term personal ambition. Uh, traditionally, um, managers will uh, focus on attitude and posturing, thinking you know, 
the way the brand behaves from the outside is what's important. We definitely noticed that in the world of transparency and the internet, that modern legacy builders are behaving their beliefs. Uh, the people that they hire uh, are following the, the values that the company holds. Those things are things that customers are seeing. Um, the third chapter is all about customers, titled Let Outsiders In. So traditionally, this was, a, this was anathema to brands, to let outsiders into the brand. The brand was in kind of a com command and control model. Um, we're seeing that evolve entirely now with the way that brands are really bringing in ideas from the outside and, um, and really building influence that way. Uh, the fourth pillar is that we, the chapter is called Invent Your Own Game. And this is about being unconventional in, in a category that usually has an orthodoxy to it. So these are brands that really stand out. They're categories of one. Um, I love the phrase, um, I didn't want to be the best. I wanted to be the only one doing what I did. And the fifth way to distinguish uh, traditional brand managers from modern legacy builders is about the perpetual nature of what they do. If you look at traditional brand managers, they'll evolve and innovate episodically, essentially in, in response to what they see out there or what the resources are. What we've noticed with modern legacy builders is that they're constantly bringing their past forward, looking to be inspired by the future, uh, evolving in ways that people aren't expecting. So those, those are the five major contrasts between a tra traditional brand managers and modern legacy builders. Well, it, it makes me immediately think, though, that uh, it, it seems to me that uh, these are, are two entirely different uh, behavioral systems uh, that the, the leaders are expressing. Uh, is that a fair statement or do you find them the same, maybe with just different goals? Yeah, I, I think they are. In some ways it's generational. We see a lot of um, uh, older brands adhering to a traditional system and new, newer brands trying to buck those trends. But, but it's not necessarily generational. There are many older brands. Wimbledon, for example, uh, is a brand that's in the book. Um, well over a century old, that here's one of the, the best brands we've seen at modernizing its image, modernizing how it goes about its business. Each year, the Wimbledon tournament goes down a list and says, what do we keep? Um, what do we need to bring in? All in the name of playing the best game of tennis. So they keep this, this ambition, that first chapter, that core idea at the front, but each year they evolve around that ambition and say, is, is, is what we've been doing still providing the best game of tennis? And if it's not, you know, if it's something that's really getting in the way or isn't relevant anymore, they'll drop it. Very interesting. You know, I, it, that reminds me, uh, if, if one, I'm wondering now, if since Wimbledon is looking at what they should bring in, maybe uh, they'll learn a lesson from Paris. Paris is told uh, uh, that uh, Sabrina can't wear a Catwoman suit next year. I saw uh, that. So I saw that. maybe Wimbledon will say, hey, it's okay, wear it here. <laughs> I think that, that would be the last tournament to do that. Wimbledon's uh, dress code is perhaps what it's most famous for. <laughs> it surely is. It, uh, I mean, you just don't do those things at Wimbledon, I know. Uh, yeah. So it, for, for the entrepreneur that's, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs that have had their business for some time, uh, they, they begin thinking about uh, does their company outlast them? Uh, how, what does it really mean in the marketplace? And I've seen, I've worked with a number of companies where I've seen this transition into looking down the road. Uh, what advice do you have based on your research that would help people to start to gain a mindset that 
starts to put them in this uh, this world of adjusting today, what would it be? Well, I, I point to some of the stories in the book, and, and my favorite in this category is probably Taylor Guitars. Um, if, if we're talking about founders, for mm-hmm. example, um, the founders of Taylor Guitars set this brand up to to really cater to the passion of playing guitar. Um, there are a lot of brands that over the years have, have been uh, uh, bought and sold. For instance, Gibson Guitars just filed for bankruptcy recently and lost sight of why people love the guitar, you know, the playability of the music. You know, not everybody is actually going to be a rock star. Most of us are going to do this from our, our living room. And Taylor, as the founders have approached retirement, said, how do we, how do we ensure that it doesn't happen to this brand? How do we ensure that we don't sell it to the highest bidder and that person just uh, cranks out the same guitars year after year until the brand goes bankrupt? Um, and what they decided was, we're going to pass this brand down and pick our own successor. So they looked into their shop and they found their master Luthier, a guy in his mid-30s, and said, we're going to groom this guy to take over the brand after we retire. Uh, so on the job, while they're all there working, they're talking with him about the things that were important to them as they built the brand, the playability of the guitars, the passion for the woods that they use, the passion for the environment and maintaining sustainability of those woods and distribution network that they use. Uh, they're one of the few brands that actually has their own distribution network. So they, they're in real time working with their successor. And I think that is, that's probably a very unconventional thing if you look around at most companies. Uh, the idea of how do I keep passions that, that brought me to this field alive is, is you know, identifying who, who will take it over after me and, and do they share those passions. Hmm. Uh, you know, we've all read articles, uh, Lucas, about uh, millennials needing to tie into the vision that people have. And I, I can't help but think that one of the real problems that, that businesses have is that they really have not set uh, a good example of saying this is what we stand for in the long term and uh, how can how can they uh, those that are worried about these things how, how can they begin to think differently than they do now what separates people like Taylor who not, not I can understand they're entering toward retirement but not a lot of people are so how can they do it earlier in other words, how can they start uh, earlier in their company thinking about what, what does it mean for our company long term? How can they express that? Well, I like this question because it does lend itself towards the, the acting faster in a fast, fast-paced world um, towards that theme. When you look at the, the, the pillars of this book, each of them allows a brand to think about some of these core layers early on in the process or, or you know, perhaps as it's building and, and growing to solidify those things. So, for example, um, starting with the long-term personal ambition, working towards the values that uh, your colleagues will have um, in, in the second chapter, those types, of, those types of core ideas, you know, identifying what your passion is for the industry and why you're there in the first place, you know, perhaps asking what problem am I solving, how mm-hmm. am I trying to make a durable difference in the world, um, and then what values the brand has, you know, what, what are we going to stick to as a group, as, you know, of colleagues, how are, how are we going to see the world, what are we here to do? I, those things build and build to the point when 
you encounter new problems, you have a better sense of how to handle them, even if they're entirely novel, because you've set up a sense of what you're there to do. We've heard, we've heard many companies say, we make widgets this year, but we could make microchips next year or clothing the next year or televisions the next year. The point is that we're working towards um, X, Y, or Z ambition. So it really is interesting to see um, brands establish those ambitions and values up front and then evolve um, because the, the products almost become secondary. So, uh, Lucas, I know that uh, you and your co-author uh, did a, a lot of research on this, uh, but I w I'm, I'm really curious, uh, what did you find that surprised you the most? Boy, that last part was one of the more surprising parts um, that, that so many people said, well, you know, sh sure, we make a, a certain product, but that's not really why we're here. Um, the folks at the Honest Company, for example, said, you know, our goal is to make a cleaner, greener world. Uh, whether we do that with cleaning products or we do that with, you know, clothing or, or electronics is, is almost immaterial to us. Um, we heard it recently at uh, a, a brand called Taza Chocolate based out of uh, Somerville, Massachusetts. They said, you know, we're here to to connect with this in indigenous culture of Mexico and and, and share these, these, these traditions. It, it can be with chocolate, it can be with other foods, but that's, you know, the chocolate is just a vehicle for sharing these values. Um, so th th that's, that's something I didn't expect to hear because so often as, um, as a journalist, you, you do connect the brand and the product, Coca-Cola and soda, Ford and, and, and vehicles. Um, and you don't think of the two as separable, but I think a lot of these modern legacy builders do, do think of the products as secondary to their ambition. Uh, I know we we have buzz term, buzzwords around a lot of times, but it seems to me that what you're talking about is uh, some people seem to have uh, or have a focus upon significance of their life rather than just the business. Is, is yeah. so they separate yeah. the two. Is that fair? I think that is fair. I, I think uh, some will even say, you know, I, you know my long-term ambitions transcend. Um, this, this business entirely. It's, it's about what I'm trying to do to change the world for literacy or for mental health stigma or for, um, in, in honest case, you know, the, the, the pollution and, and, and clean, uh, clean products. So, so it, is, it is, I think that first step goes back to identifying why are you doing what you're doing and, and it, it, what is it about it that you truly love and believe will, will leave and create something different about the world that's better. Uh, there, there's certainly everything that you've talked about today. I, it certainly makes me think that uh, the stories that you've used in your book would be valuable for people in, in a lot of ways, not just in discovering legacy for themselves, but also in really learning how to make their companies more relatable to their employees today. Uh, too many employees just, they go to work for their check and they really don't have a sense of higher purpose. It can't just be the leaders that have that sense of higher purpose, in my view. Is, is uh, that a fair statement based on your research? Yes. I, I, the way we think about it is there are a, are a ton of people out there who say, I want to go make a million dollars. So if you, that's your goal when you set out, if that's the sole idea, you're going to be competing with a lot of people in a very vague way. 
um, one of the earliest ways to distinguish yourself and, and, and really to gather others to your cause, to harness that power of influence and, and uh, really uh, create a, a movement is to tap into something deeper. You know, what, what problem am I trying to solve in the world? What, what, how am I trying to make this, this category, this country, this, uh, this industry um, operate better? Well, Lucas, there's no doubt this is a fascinating book, and I know that people are going to want to know more, and they want to know how to connect with you. Uh, why don't you share how it would be easy for them to connect with you and find out more about the work that you're doing? Sure. Thank you. The The website's a good place to start. We, we started the Legacy Lab back in 2012, so com is where you can find out more information about the organization. Uh, the book's on Amazon, of course, and we're out there on social media, on uh, Twitter, at The Legacy Lab, and on Facebook as well. Awesome. And uh, for those of you that are exercising now, uh, we'll be sure to include a link to The Legacy Lab to make it easy for you to connect with Lucas and learn more about the great work he's doing. Now, Lucas, as we uh, come to a close today, here at Manager Mojo, we're all about actions. And I wonder if you would share with our listeners what would be the top one or two action items that you believe that leaders should take in order to learn more themselves about this topic of legacy and the making. What would those action items be? I think that it would start with defining your long-term personal ambition. Um, the cover to our book is by Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia. He talks about how he started out because he wanted to develop better climbing tools, tools that, that didn't have to be left behind, that could be reused. And um, he actually developed his own set of climbing tools. And then he had to develop a climbing method. And he wrote a book and he built a company. But it all started with that one core ambition, which was these products don't work the way I think they should. What can I do to, to better this category, this field, and uh, built into what Patagonia is today? So I think it, it really does all come back to what is my long-term personal ambition? Very cool. Is there any other action item that beyond our am ambition that I, I definitely think that's a great one? Anything else you want to suggest? Sure, sure. I mean, from there, the next step is, you know, what are the values that support that ambition? You know, if I, if I, if I run into a place where I have to make a decision between sales and my values, um, will those values be strong enough to, to keep me true to that original ambition or will the brand be swept back and forth because of opportunities or, or um, financial um, financial hardship? Uh, th those values can often um, really clear the way and make the next step very very uh, straightforward when you've identified what do we believe in as, as a brand or what do I believe in as, as, as a legacy builder. I love that. I love those action items that you listed today, Lucas, because uh, I think that they apply to individuals as well as those that are running companies. Uh, if we can just uh, understand our own ambition and understand what our values are, we're going to make a bigger contribution no matter where we are in the world. Uh, my guest today has been Mr. Lucas Conley. Uh, he's co-author of the book Legacy in the Making, Building a Long-Term Brand to Stand Out in a Short-Term World. Uh, Lucas, congratulations on the book, and we wish you continued success, and I encourage all our listeners to get their copy and start working on their own plans today. Thank you for your time today. It was my pleasure, Steve. Thank you very much.